Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Today, in the sight of God, in the presence of this company, to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is commended by God's word to be honorable among all, and therefore should not be entered into lightly or unadvisedly, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God. Into this holy estate, these two persons present come now to be joined. If anyone can show just cause as to why they may not lawfully be joined together, together let them speak now or hereafter forever hold their peace. Well, we're not having a wedding ceremony today, but that's the start of a wedding. Familiar to you? Words that sound familiar if you've been to a wedding, if you've attended more than one. To the couples that we just witnessed in this uh, little video, uh, I'm guessing that they began their marriage in a similar way. I'm guessing that marriage to them holds meaning. Uh, There's value to marriage. And I'd venture to say that to those couples, marriage is a big deal. If you've been to weddings and you've heard the words that I uh, recited just a moment ago, and they're familiar to you, they're more than just tradition. You might hear those, they go into one ear and out the other. Do you ever really let them seek in? Do you process these words? Because they are more than just traditional words to mark the beginning of a marriage ceremony or a wedding. They say something. They say, first, we're gathered in the sight of God. We want to invoke the presence of Almighty God on this occasion. Second, we're in the presence of a company. There are others here. It's a public ceremony. There are those who are going to witness this. A covenant, promises that are made before God and before witnesses. So this couple that comes together, they're not trying to hide something. It's an open ceremony before witnesses. And third, that's the, there's the purpose that's stated there, to join together a man and a woman. And in this day, in this culture, man and woman. We might not have thought this that long ago, but those are important qualifiers which, by the way, reflects the truth that's found in the Word of God in the beginning. The first book of the Holy Bible, the creation account in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we we read, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's the qualifier, male and female. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, 
we have it stated again a little bit differently. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Genesis 1.27, Genesis 2.24, these are foundational scriptures. God created everything. And then God created man. And God saw all that he had made and he said, it's good, it's very good, but there was one exception. One exception as you read through the creation account where God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs or he took from his side and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then God made a woman from that that he took from the man. And he brought her to the man. So now there was two. There was man and there was woman. And these were complementary beings. The suitable complement for man was woman. They became partners. They became a team. But so much more than that, much, much more than this, Adam, the first man, said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And as you read Genesis chapter 2, this quote from the first man, Adam, when he sees this creation God made for him, the woman, and he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, immediately the author of Genesis gives us the very next line, which is Genesis 2.24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is foundational to marriage, that a man leaves father, he leaves a mother. He leaves that man and that woman to establish his own family. A unique family is then formed between that man and that woman that get married. Jesus applied this very foundational aspect of marriage that we find in Genesis, the foundation of marriage and family. He was once questioned about marriage. And Jesus went straight back to the creation account. You find this in the Gospel of Mark. You find it in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read to you from Matthew 19, verses 3 to 6, where Jesus goes right back to foundation, right back to creation. Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then Jesus adds this, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Another line that we use in wedding ceremonies Jesus defending marriage here. He refers back to creation. Basics. Male and female. God created them. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. To be united to his wife. And then Jesus repeats. He reiterates. They are no longer two, but one flesh. 
he just reiterates Genesis again. And this idea that these two can become one flesh, it only occurs because uh, man and woman were created as complementary beings. They were created as counterparts designed by God to become one. Now, like Jesus, the Apostle Paul taught exactly the very same thing. You can read Ephesians chapter 5 at the end of Ephesians chapter 5 in that letter. Paul talking about husbands and wives. He begins the whole section by saying, Therefore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he begins to talk about how a woman should submit to a man and a man should love her husband. And in this discussion on marriage, he ends it just like Jesus. And he appeals to the foundation. A man will leave his father and mother and he'll become one with his wife. Now, does this mean that there's a mandate that every single man and every single woman must be married? No. Neither Jesus nor Paul were married. But they taught that if this is something that God puts you into, that this situation arises, that you uh, fall in love with someone or that you need uh, a partner and you're going to. They taught about marriage and they made it clear that marriage is between a man and a woman. You can see then that the, the words at the start of a wedding, listen to them the next time you're at a wedding ceremony. They're not just traditional. They're biblical. And they refer to the very foundation of marriage, you know, something that God ordained. In, in our 21st century culture here in uh, this country, that foundation has crumbled. It's eroded to the point of near collapse. June 26, 2015, the United States Supreme Court ruled that any states that had bans on same-sex marriage, those were unconstitutional. And if you remember that evening, the White House was awash with rainbow colors. There were celebrations across the country. And prior to that, in Macomb County, when, when I, I, most of the uh, marriage, license, marriage licenses that come across my desk, those are Macomb County, and it would have words like bride and groom. So the groom was on one side, the bride was on the other, that was the man and the woman, but now they're totally gender neutral. The new marriage licenses say spouse and spouse. And that just didn't happen overnight. You know, that didn't happen in a moment in time. You know, this happened after marriage became less and less important as a God-ordained, God-designed, lifelong covenant and union. Because marriage began to be viewed as unimportant, marriage began to be viewed as optional. Marriage itself was then co-opted by the culture and redefined. And that shouldn't be surprising because over the course of the last half century or so, marriage has become less and less important and necessary to those for whom it was designed, for heterosexual couples who should view marriage as, as vital and important the attitude became, well, it's no big deal. I want to read you something from uh, what a group called the National Marriage Project. They put out a report. It's called The State of Our Unions. 
And this is from 2012. So it's fairly recent. Now, I want to read you an excerpt. It's a long report. They did uh, a lot of research. And I'll give you a section of it. It says, the number of unmarried couples has increased dramatically over the past five decades. Most younger Americans now spend some time living together outside of marriage, and unmarried cohabitation commonly precedes marriage. Between 1960 and 2011, the number of unmarried couples in America increased more than 17-fold. Unmarried cohabitation, that is, couples who are sexual partners, not married to each other, and sharing a household, is particularly common among the young. It is estimated that about a quarter of unmarried women aged 25 to 39 are currently living with a partner and an additional quarter have lived with a partner at some time in the past. More than 60% of first marriages are now preceded by living together compared to virtually none 50 years ago. The rising median age of first marriage now 27 for women and 29 for men, is linked to a rapid rise in cohabitation prior to marriage and a dramatic increase in the number of children born outside of marriage. A growing number of couples, both young and old, now live together with no plans to marry eventually. For first marriages recently formed, between 40 and 50% are likely to end in divorce the divorce rate for remarriages is higher than that for first marriages. It's pretty, pretty stunning when we read it and it's encapsulated like that. Especially a line that says, more than 60% of first marriages are now preceded by living together compared to virtually none 50 years ago. So what does that say occurred over the last 50 or so years? Marriage became no big deal. What's the big deal? We can live together. Unmarried cohabitation has skyrocketed. Divorce rates are, are high. I don't want to talk about cohabitation and, and, and divorce rates, but I want to take just a little side note here and say, in the passage from Matthew chapter 19, if you read that, Jesus was asked about divorce. His answer led into a greater discussion about divorce. Now, today, it's, it's not a message about uh, divorce. The topic is, is big. Uh, it's not where I'm going today. But suffice it to say that Jesus, and with more scriptural detail that you can find from the Apostle Paul, they both taught that there are divorces uh, that are legitimate. There are times when the, the covenant bond can be broken le legitimately. There are divorces where there's an innocent spouse. Now, you might have been in a marriage with an unfaithful spouse. You might have been in a marriage where you are abandoned by your spouse. You can hold your head high. You're not diminished as a Christian. You're not diminished in the sight of God. You're not diminished in the sight of the church. You're not diminished in the sight of this church because of what your spouse did. And if you broke up a marriage, 
But if you were that guilty party because you fell into sin, of course that sin causes consequences. Consequences of a broken family, hardships, hardships on children, if you have children. And with any sin, with any sin, there are consequences. There are earthly consequences. But there's Jesus. And Jesus calls us to repentance. He said to the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, go and sin no more. Despite the issues of the sin and the consequences of the sin and what you have to deal with and what you have to live with beyond that, beyond a bad choice, a bad decision, Jesus calls us to repentance. His desire is that we recognize our sin and that we turn to him. And then from that point on, we move into the future as different people, as new creatures in Christ. And yeah, we might have to deal with some of the things from the past, but we're moving forward repentant in him. And that ends my side note on divorce. And back to this idea of cohabitation and and the high rates of uh, divorce and marriages broken, no-fault divorce, there's this attitude of, you know, I'm tired of you. Yeah, we've been together for a while. You're just not interesting anymore. I'm in love with someone else. You know, these are, these are the attitudes that show a disdain for the concept of a lifelong commitment and a lifelong un, union that's called marriage. It's the attitude of, what's the big deal? But it is big It's big to God. Marriage is big to God. His word tells us that we should honor marriage. And that's found in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13. I want to read you the first five, five verses, not just pull the one verse. So Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 5, say this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hostility to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the book of Romans, the end of the book of Romans, where the context was really set by love. Paul had talked about a debt of love. And then he gave one line after another that were practical ways to express this. And this is a parallel right here in the book of Hebrews. It begins with love. Keep loving as brothers and sisters. Now, how do you show that love? The writer just doesn't leave us hanging there. And now he begins to write line after line. And it's just one thought after another about how you can do this. Be hospitable. Don't forget those in prison. Remember those who are being mistreated, even as, think of them as yourself being mistreated. How would you want to be treated? Don't be greedy. Don't have a love for money. Be content. 
And there in the thick of it then is verse 4 that's about marriage. And what does the writer say? Honor marriage. Honor marriage. Marriage should be honored, not by a few, not by some, not by this group, not by that group. Marriage should be honored by all. Now that should sound familiar. Because that's the opening of a wedding ceremony. The Word of God says that marriage should be honored by all and therefore should not be entered into lightly or unadvisedly, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, and in the fear of God. They're not just traditional words. They're words that, that have a root in Scripture. It is honoring marriage to keep a union together. Is it honoring marriage to live together essentially as a married couple, as husband and wife, without making the covenant promises before God. So many say, it's okay. It's not a big deal. We can live together. And, and we have to. We need to. we got to get our house set up. We have to get our finances right. Then we'll plan the day. Then we'll plan the wedding. We'll rent the hall. We'll, we'll plan the menu. We'll... Get the DJ and the music. The National Marriage Project, which I referred to, it also said this. On the one hand, we are witnessing a striking exodus from marriage, yet as a culture, we seem fixated on marriage, spending an extravagant $50 billion annually on weddings. That's a lot of cash. And it seems like a paradox. Something's wacky here. Marriage is less and less important. It's not a big deal. It, it holds no value to so many people. But spending $50 billion annually, I think they need to make a minor edit in this line, in this report. It said there's a striking exodus from marriage, yet as a culture we seem fixated on marriage spending an extravagant $50 billion annually. And I think the one edit should be this. As a culture, we seem fixated not on marriage, no. We seem fixated on weddings. There is a fixation and a focus on the day. And that's where the $50 billion bucks is spent. You know, think about all that cash if people invested it in their union if they invested it in making their life solid and their love together to, to grow as they learn about one another. But rather than focusing on making a covenant before God and before witnesses that invites Jesus Christ to be the center of, of the commitment and the center of the union for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others for life, as long as you both shall live, instead of that, the focus is very often on the day versus the life. You know, and meanwhile, living together and justifying it all for so many reasons, convenience, financial, and oh, I've heard this, we're not sleeping together, we have different rooms. I have heard that. I've heard all the reasons that cohabitation is just fine. But recall John chapter 4. Go home and read John chapter 4. It's where Jesus stuck, struck up a conversation with a woman he met 
in Samaria at a well. And during this conversation, Jesus said, go call your husband and come back. And the woman replied, I have no husband. And she was being evasive. Jesus said to her, that's quite true. You've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. What's the implication here? What's Jesus saying to this woman? Woman, you're carrying on as if you are married, but you're not. You and that man are living together, and you're committing adultery. But some couples will say, well, we're not. We're not, really. I'm upstairs. She's downstairs. So it's not a big deal. We're not really living as a married couple. And Paul gives us some insight into this. Now, Jesus just called this lady out, and he eventually won her over. Paul gives us some more details. He gives us some more insight if, if we're saying, ah, you know, really we're not doing that. Paul says this in the start of Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 to 3, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, just I'm going to stop for a minute. That sets it in love. Again, a preface of love, this attitude of love. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love someone else? Paul goes on. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. This is the New Testament. This is the apostle. He says, among you Ephesians who call yourselves Christians... There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. In other words, you've got to be above reproach. You've got to be above accusation. Nobody can point a finger at you. They shouldn't be able to, to say something about you. Now, you can tell me all day long, oh, we're living together, but nothing's going on. Really, I'm in the basement. She's on the second floor. But to your neighbors, to all those around you, how are you showing yourself? You are showing yourself as on par with a married couple. You're in the same home, and that implies something to those around you. You know, you might say, but it's not going on, but there is this hint. There is this hint of immorality. When you live together, you present to everyone around you that you are a couple. So if you want to enjoy the benefits of shared space, and you want to enjoy the benefits of shared finances, and you want to enjoy all the other benefits of being two people living together essentially as husband and wife, get married. Get married. This, that's my advice every single time to people who say, oh, I, you know, there's all these reasons. Why? why? Why would it be my advice? Because this is what the Word of God says. And let me tell you that if you follow what God's Word says, He'll bless you. He will bless you. You know, you might wonder why things aren't going well. You know, 
And you got the reasons. Oh, it's going to affect my insurance. I'm going to lose my tuition grant. I've heard that. My taxes are going to go up. I could go on and on and on. And they're excuses. They are excuses that are founded in fear, not faith in God. Believe God. Believe his word. Do things his way. He's going to bless you. He will bless you for doing it. And marriage is a picture of blessing. Marriage is a picture that God uses throughout Scripture. Why? Because God views marriage as huge. He views it as a big deal. He views it as something that uh, relates directly to his relationship with his people. This is why he uses this picture of this covenant over and over and over again in his word to present his relationship with us, his people. In the Old Testament, God said in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love, virgin Israel. But you broke my covenant, though I was a husband to you. And there's the picture. There's the picture of marriage. It's the picture of a bride. And it's a picture of God the husband. His people are the bride. He is the husband. Over and over, God uses this image of marriage. Isaiah chapter 54. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Isaiah 62 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In Hosea, he says, I will betroth you to me. And that's, that's the Old Testament, that's just a few. That's just a few of the areas where God uses this picture of marriage, this, this important and vital covenant, and he uses that picture of covenant between him and us. So do you think it's a big deal to him? Yes, it's a big deal. And in the New Testament, there's more. Ephesians chapter 5, which I've already mentioned. For this reason, Paul says, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And he goes on to say, this is profound. This is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. Again, he uses this marriage image to say it's Christ and the church. In Revelation, we read about the wedding of the Lamb. The wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's Old Testament. It's New Testament. Marriage, this covenant is pictured by God as his covenant with us, his people. This is how God esteems the marriage covenant and the bond that it represents. It's a picture of his bond with his people. God sees it as vital. He sees it as important. He ordained it from creation that this is the way a man and a woman should start a family, that this is the way a family would be strengthened. It's the way a community is strengthened. He sees it as important. We should too. You know, as the culture continues to redefine marriage more and more, how is it being redefined? Well, we already know it's been redefined. June of 2015, marriage was redefined. But don't think that that's the end of it. Don't think that there isn't going to be pushes for, for more redefinition of marriage. Maybe that it's temporary. You know that your licenses ex- would expire and you need to renew it. You might laugh, but that's something that's been talked about. Maybe instead of spouse and spouse, which I see now on the Macomb County uh, marriage license, there might be more than two. You know, and that's something that you might think, well, that'll never happen. 
But the idea that marriage could be three, four, five, that's again something that's, that's being talked about right now by the culture. You know, temporary, include others. We as Christians should exemplify the significance of marriage and the blessings that God bestows on those who honor their union. Now, that National Marriage Project said also this, most of what we hear, even from political and social leaders who think marriage is important, is silence, tentativeness, or worse, despair. Even those who believe marriage matters seem to think that nothing can be done. Well, I want to say this morning from a Christian perspective, something can be done. We do not have to remain silent. We do not have to remain tentative. We do not have to be in despair. What do we do? How do we respond to a culture that would attack and beat down and redefine God's ordained union? We respond as we're instructed by his word. And what does his word say? Honor marriage. Honor marriage. Don't treat it as trivial. Do not treat it as optional. Don't live together unless it's within the bounds of a marriage covenant that was expressed publicly before God. Among you there must not even be the hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Honor marriage. You know, the dress, the venue, the DJ, the, 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 the menu for the meal, the tuxedos, the limo, the decorations, these are all wonderful details of a very, very special day. But don't, don't, don't overemphasize the, the few hours of the wedding day and neglect the importance of holding a lifelong covenant that you establish on that day. Honor marriage. Don't allow trifling and trivial issues to break your marriage apart, that you're going to walk away from a spouse over, over some little thing that's just moved in, you know, from a molehill to a mountain. Of course you're going to have issues. But those trying times should strengthen your bond. In a couple of months, uh, Julie and I are going to celebrate 32 years of marriage. Now, I'll never. Yeah, it's, it's, I know. Uh, I know you're thinking she doesn't really look more than 32. I get it. But yes, it's going to be 32 years. And I will never forget standing in, in that aisle and watching her come down. Never forget it. But you know, that moment didn't last forever. It was a glorious moment. It was a great moment. My smiling bride coming down the aisle. We were going to begin a life together. And we did. And we, we built a life together and a family together. But we have had our occasions of what you know I've called uh, in front of you all, I've said we've had some intense fellowship. You know? <laughs> we have had those times where, you know, my eyes were here and her eyes were here, or vice versa. We just were not eye to eye. Now, those are times where we had to make an effort. We had to make an effort to love. We had to make an effort to love with action. You know, we had to do that even when that 
that wedding day feeling wasn't there. And I know I, I have given her times where she really had to make an effort. I have. You know, but the point of those disagreements was that we've, we used them to strengthen ourselves. We, we didn't allow them to break our commitment. So we've grown together. And we've used those trying times to get stronger, to bond our love together tighter, not to weaken it. And we're still growing. We're still growing together. She's still learning things about me. I know it. And I've still given her times where <laughs> we're not seeing eye to eye. I'm giving her times where she has to make an effort. But we're going to honor marriage and exemplify commitment. That's what God calls us all to do. Make it your goal to do that if you're married, to honor your commitment. And if you're not married, honor marriage. Don't tell somebody it's okay to live together. Don't advise them that yeah, they should buy the house first and get their finances in order and do all these things and then make the commitment. No, honor marriage. Make it your goal that your neighbor in this culture can see God's blessing is upon those who follow his ways. Yes, Jesus taught that there are legitimate reasons to break a covenant, but so often marriages fall apart for just trivial reasons. So if you're married, work on that relationship. Work on it. Let those trying times help define your marriage and strengthen it. And if you need opportunities uh, to do that, and even if you don't, if you're in a great time with your marriage, if you're in a high time with your marriage, that's also a good time to really work on enriching your marriage. And we have something to help to that end. We're starting a new group on September 17th. It's called Date Your Mate. And the object is for couples to be able to enrich their marriage to offer them a place where well, maybe, maybe they don't see eye to eye, but even if you're doing great, work on that relationship. Enrich that relationship. And you'll be honoring your commitment. You can find out more. You can see Don Toth out in the foyer this morning. Uh, he and his wife, Gail, are leading this new group, Date Your Mate. And their space, space is limited, too. I know that uh, there's not that much left. So couples take advantage of this. We want to offer things at our church that help honor marriage, help keep the bond. As Christians, as a church, are you with me? Will you honor marriage? We can change the culture when we do. And I think it's not just important it's a huge, huge, big deal to God. Let's honor that commitment. And this morning, I have another commitment to talk to you about. And it's a commitment of making, making yourself a member of this body, of this church. We have a couple here, two men, who are making that commitment this morning. They have come through our uh, catechism class, and I know you also saw that earlier. Our, our new classes begin on September 17th. 
they each have different stories about God in their life, and they're committing to this fellowship, and we want to welcome them. We want to welcome them into the membership this morning, pray over them, and bless them. Uh, we have this morning coming into our membership, Jeremy Joni. Jeremy, come on up here and come behind the altar. We're going to pray for you. Jeremy's been around here for a few years, and uh, I've gotten to know him. He's got quite a story, actually, about how God has uh, helped him. God's delivered him from things. Uh, he's, uh, he's got a great faith, too, and a wonderful testimony. Uh, we've, uh, he's, he and I have met on a couple of occasions and uh, prayed, and I know God has changed his life. Uh, we also have Mark Mayer coming into the membership this morning. Mark... Uh, also has a story of faith. His life has been uh, changed by Jesus Christ since uh, the Lord has uh, led him and brought him here. He's learned, he's grown, and he has established a real solid relationship with Jesus Christ. Mark's a father. He has a daughter named Charlotte. And uh, we want to bless these two this morning. Our elders, uh, Dale and Angela Flowers, are going to come and pray with him. I want to just ask you to stand with me this morning as I pray over these two, but I also want to pray that we will be people that will honor commitment, will honor marriage, and we'll be able to do it as God's Word says. Let's pray first uh, for these two men. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for adding to your church such as would be saved. God, thank you for adding to this body, this local fellowship, Bethesda Christian Church. God, we ask and pray for Mark and for Jeremy right now, Lord, that your blessing would be upon them. Lord, that you would expose in these men as they set down roots here in this family Lord, we pray that you would expose in them their gifts and their talents to be used for your kingdom. God, that you would take them day by day, Lord, deeper into you. Lord, may they be men of your word. May they follow after your word, Lord, truly and uh, very, very honorably, Lord. God, we pray that they'd be open to look to your word in all the times of their lives. Lord, we pray that they would show fruit, fruit for your kingdom here at Bethesda, Lord. Fruit for your kingdom here outside too, Lord, in the community. God, may they be lights in their workplaces, in their families, God. May your blessing be upon them. Use them greatly. Use them mightily, God. And may they be here, Lord, for a long time. May their roots go deep, God. May they be men that become pillars of the church. Lord, we ask this and pray this. We ask it and pray it over them that their commitment would be long-lasting and that they would see the ministers, the elders, the deacons, spiritual leaders here, God, as those who care for their very own souls. May they learn, may they grow in you, Jesus. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, God. May your blessing truly be upon them. And Lord, now for everyone in this sanctuary, God, for any and all of us, Lord, maybe we've uh, not been committed to a marriage. Lord, maybe we've, we've given someone the advice that they could live together. Lord, I just pray that you would burn it into our hearts, your word, God, your truth, that we honor marriage as you see it, God. You see it as vital, important, it's critical. You describe your relationship with us in that bond, Lord, may we see it as important for you, God. 
And I pray, Lord, for our culture. And I pray, Lord, for the world around us. Lord, may we be people that are exemplary. May we be people that show them that your blessing falls and is upon those who honor your word and live rightly before you righteously, God. Lord, I pray that we'd be people that would do that. I pray that we'd be people that would live for your word. I pray that we'd be people that would run hard after your word. God, I pray that we'd be people that would truly live by what you have called us to do by your word, righteously, holy people, God. May it be, as your word says, that we are God's holy people. And we're not involved in the way of the world, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing that you put on marriages. May every marriage represented in this room, Lord, have your blessing. If any are struggling, Lord, help them. Lord, may they use their time of struggle to get closer to you and closer to their spouse, Lord. Be the God of reconciliation, we pray this morning, if there's any that are, that are coming close to saying we're done. And God, I pray for those who are doing great, God that your blessing would continue to be upon them. May families that are exemplary continue in that way, God. Lord, strengthen them. Strengthen all of us, I pray. And I ask it all, God, in Jesus' holy and his precious name, amen. Amen.